Tensegirl Friends, or Kanokari for short, is a garbage anime with a garbage human and manipulative serial abuser for a protagonist, and an equally manipulative, exasperatingly cyclical writing style. These two things work in tandem to ensure that said protagonist never learns anything or grows as a person, while also devaluing the autonomy and identity of its female characters, reducing them to props in this one guy's selfish quest for shallow love. Most frustratingly, it's not as if these girls aren't interesting or that you couldn't tell compelling stories about them. They have interesting character biographies and some strong characterization. The pieces for a good story are here, but Kanokari, it seems, is downright allergic to telling a good story. By the end of its first season's 12 episodes, which make for some of the most unrelentingly misogynistic, rapey, generally hateful bile I've ever had the displeasure of viewing, nothing has happened, no one's learned anything, and there are no consequences for any of it. If you're familiar with my channel, you'll know I am not in the habit of dedicating videos to tearing down things I don't enjoy, and until now, every video I've made has been about something I liked. Generally, I consume media that I like, and if I don't like something, I won't keep engaging with it. When I started watching Konokari, I wanted to like it. To be sure, I didn't expect much of a show with a title like rent a girlfriend, but nevertheless, I want to like everything I watch. And I did like it at first, or at least I was curious to see where it would go and how it would develop. But over time, the show's appalling view of relationships and gender relations became impossible to overlook, and it became clear that the story wasn't going anywhere, and thus I came to retroactively despise almost every minute of it. By that point, I had gotten so deep into the story, having been led on by its deceptive structure, that I felt it was worth making a video about my experience with it. Also, considering Kanokari's clear popularity and the green lighting of a second season, we ought not as a community to let those objectionable elements go uncriticized. And also, uh, I, I need something else to complain about besides all the fascists and the evil and the death. Something being problematic isn't necessarily a deal-breaker for me. There are plenty of things I love, which I acknowledge are very problematic, and if Kanokari were fun to watch, I wouldn't excuse its misogyny, but I might be more willing to appreciate its entertainment value in spite of its misogyny. And there were things I liked about Kanokari that I feel deserve to be noted. The animation in Kanokari is generally quite expressive and good, save for some rough edges. I don't mean for anything I say here to be a slight against the hard work invested by the animators, who clearly did the best they could with the source material they were given. The voice acting is fine, with Yuki versatile performance as Nanami Mami proving a standout among the cast, but if you're watching this show for her, you're better off watching or re-watching Symphogear instead. The OP is quite good, the Peggies are good, Centimeter is an absolute banger. Although the sound design isn't very good, and the soundtrack is often ill-fitting, as detailed in a really great video by Replay Value, the compositions themselves are perfectly fine. And speaking of the OP, in particular I like this one shot of Kazuya running in a circle on top of a retweeting icon, which suggests that the show might explore, in some depth, the existential horror of the social media cycle, but that never comes up. There are a few genuinely funny moments, usually when the show decides to tell a different joke other than the same joke over and over again. On that note, that's about all the positive things I've got to say about Kanokari. I'm now going to offer my analysis, and in so doing will spoil the entire show. I do not think you should care, because it's a painful and exhausting train wreck, and I do not recommend watching it. With that, let's begin. <laughs>
Kanokari's premise is as follows. Kinoshita Kasuya, a 20-year-old college student, is dumped by his girlfriend, Nanami Mami, for no apparent reason. Dejected and alone, he downloads an app, Diamond, which offers the services of a rental girlfriend who will go on paid dates with him to assuage his loneliness. And yes, this is a real thing in Japan, it's called compensated dating. Going by all available polls, and the way this is presented in this anime and others, people are generally thought less of for doing it, same way people are thought less of for doing sex work anywhere, really. That might be something I talk about in a separate video. In any case, even if rental girlfriends were complete fiction, it wouldn't affect my analysis of the story much, if at all. Kazuya meets up with the girlfriend, Ichinose Chizuru, who goes by the stage name of Mizuhara while on the job. Through a series of inconvenient twists, he winds up introducing her to his family as his real girlfriend, and must keep up the act both so Chizuru can keep her reputation, and Kazuya can stay in his family's good graces. They try several times to simply end the fake relationship, but all kinds of bullshit coincidences keep happening to prevent them from doing that. This entire story is propped up on a string of bullshit coincidences, which I'll admit was entertaining at first, but it gets very annoying once it's shown its hand. In most episodes, Kazuya and Shizuru, or whatever other girl he's creeping on that week, find themselves in some sort of awkward position which threatens to oust their relationship as fake. In every episode where this happens, Kazuya lies to get out of this situation, Shizuru plays along with his lies to avoid being outed as a rental girlfriend, or Kazuya is on the verge of admitting the truth or otherwise making a superior decision, when something or someone stops him from doing a character development. Writing this way wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if the purpose were to dig Kazuya and Chizuru into a slightly deeper hole that they would then have to dig themselves out of later, with all of their earlier lies being revealed as false, and that paying off in some way. And I would probably want to actually see that happen, and see the story move to some new place from that. However, Kanokari in instead uses this pattern to cop out of ever having to tell a proper story where things happen. Kazuya's central character flaw is that he's a horny, abusive, misogynist asshole. Though the show keeps pointing this out and suggesting he might change sometime if you keep watching. He's consistently handed a get-out-of-jail-free card whenever he gets too close to learning something or making any kind of hard decision. Thus, he never grows as a character, so he never opens his eyes to empathizing with these girls as people. And because the narrative is framed through his eyes, these girls also never get to be their own characters, and their stories never get to happen on their own terms. While this male-centric structure is by no means unique to Kanokari, it's certainly one of the more egregious examples of this that I've seen. So, as an example, I'll start at the very first episode. As good a place to start as any, I think. Kazuya and Chizuru meet up and go on their date, and the first half of this episode contains the best characterization for Chizuru we're ever going to get. It's immediately clear that Chizuru has put in a lot of hard work. One detail I especially like is how Chizuru is seen holding the cafe menu upside down at first, before turning it right side up with this adorably ditzy wide-eyed oops, something she definitely did by accident. The only immersion-breaking moment of her performance is when she motions for Kazuya to pay her, something that our attention is immediately and abruptly called to before he hands her her pay and the date continues. They go to the aquarium, they hold hands, time's up, and they go home. 
Kazuya feels conflicted about the nature of the date, so he goes and reads Chizu's user reviews on the Rental Girlfriend app, only to learn that the girl he paid to pretend to be his girlfriend was pretending. How shocking. Outraged, Kazuya leaves a negative review for Chizuru, complaining that she didn't know anything about the fish at the aquarium. Uh, thinking he needs to give her a piece of his mind, something that is definitely healthy and normal, he books another date with her the following day. On this date, he acts all weird and cagey, and when they sit down at the cafe and he pays her, he's all like, Don't you feel empty being paid to go on dates with guys you don't like to which Shizuru replies <laughs> Kazuya isn't convinced but I certainly was the story seemed to be hinting that it was going to explore Shizuru's perspective later on and maybe say something about why Chizuru chose a job like this, what she's getting or not getting out of it, and how she feels about it. And exploring the topic of compensated dating and why people might do it or even enjoy it is interesting. Chizuru is a performer, and her stage is real life, and especially as there is an element of performance to my job as well, I think that's interesting. Kazuya and Chizuru go to the aquarium and this time she knows about the fish. But instead of acknowledging the work she's clearly gone to to go out of her way to satisfy Kazuya, Kazuya instead shouts at her about how fake she's being and how stupid it all is that this won't last more than a day and so on and so forth. This draws the attention of the other aquarium visitors and so Chizuru pulls him aside to chew him out. <laughs> this scene is easily the best in the entire show. It's so satisfying to see Chizuru drop her girlfriend persona and air her grievances in an entirely justified tirade that is readily and immediately relatable to anyone who's ever worked basically any job dealing with people ever, and also to gig economy workers. <laughs> Kazuya is apologetic, and for the first time, it seems as if he might be about to learn something. Maybe we, along with Kazuya, might learn more about Chizuru and her position, why she likes being a rental girlfriend, if she likes it, and that even if she's performing, that doesn't mean she's not having a good time, or that her intent is malicious or insincere. Maybe the story could explore how she enjoys the labor of her job, but her relationship to that labor, and those for whom she performs it, dulls her enjoyment somewhat. Again, like being a YouTuber. Chizuru asks Kazuya if he wants to continue the date, but before he can answer, he gets a phone call saying his grandma has been hospitalized and bounces. And at this point, the show abandons Chizuru's potential character arc and instead pivots to playing sexual assault for, for comedy. Presumably Chizuru followed him to the hospital because she didn't want to get another one-star review, but her reasons are never presented by the story, and it's just kind of left up to us to guess that. Gig economy workers often stress out over their review scores for much the same reason YouTubers stress out about their analytics. Because lower numbers mean you get rewarded less and make less pay. If you're working as an Uber driver, even a single one-star review can lessen the number of rides you're given and the bonuses they pay you and be the difference between making rent that month or not. <laughs> We're told over the course of this 
series that Shizuru is a very popular and high-ranking girl, and gets booked for dates a lot as a result, and her user ratings are clearly correlated with that success. She is entirely in the right to be frustrated and upset at this one random asshole for potentially putting her income at risk, especially over something that was clearly no fault of her own. If Kanokari had wanted, it could easily have pivoted to making the point that maybe a system like this, where one shithead can jeopardize your month's rent, is not a good one, but we never get to hear about this from Chizuru. We can only see Kazuya's perspective, and he doesn't comment on any of this either. So I can only assume as a result that in this moment, which to me was so revelatory and compelling and a great point of empathy for Chizuru as a character, that we are meant to see her as little but a raving Karen. And this is just one instance of how the way Kanokari chooses to tell its story actively cheats the most interesting aspects of that story, and thus the most interesting stories it could have told. And this isn't accidental, the story really just actively doesn't care. Kazuya at one point wonders why Chizuru is a rental girlfriend before deciding. We later learn that Chizuru's reasons for taking up the rental girlfriend job are because it's practice for her acting career, and also it makes her some extra money to pay for acting school, so it works out. That's an interesting story. That's something I would have liked to see, instead of just being told about it. The reveal of this information is positioned as some kind of a twist, like we're supposed to be shocked or something. Kazu is literally blown away to find out that Chizuru has a life outside of him and the other men she sees, as if that's not a perfectly normal thing. And when she says that she's going to quit being a rental girlfriend to pursue her acting career, the framing of it is, oh no, Kazuya won't get to see Chizuru anymore, which would be quite good, actually. But of course, Chizuru has to right away reassure Kazuya that they can still see each other, just so you know that the story won't end, or have anything interesting happen. Kanokari is unable to frame any of these girls in terms not defined by their relationship to Kazuya. Watching the anime at first, I naively hoped that maybe this might change, or at least Kazuya might grow into a worthwhile character, but no. This is a problem that continues to plague it till the very end, so much so that Kanokari is willing to imply that death would be preferable to these women being single. I wish that were a joke. Through another string of hilarious comedy hijinks and bad writing that I'll spare you the details of, Kazuya gets on a ferry with Chizuru in episode 4. During this ferry ride, Chizuru gets seasick and dazed falls into the sea. Kazuya's reaction, a reasonable one you'd think, is to dive off of the boat and go save her. Setting aside the fact that this show just threw us another random twist to rope us into watching the next episode, this plot point later becomes incredibly frustrating when the show decides that Kazuya saving Chizuru's life means that he really loves her. The unsaid logical inference being that if Kazuya didn't love Chizuru, he would have let her drown and die. And the show keeps saying this. Every time Kazuya wonders if he actually loves Chizuru, it's all like, oh yeah, my body moved on its own, I was all like, coming to her rescue, that must mean we're destined to be! Do I have to explain why this is bad? 
I mean, no, no, I don't, and I shouldn't have to. I feel like it's pretty self-evident why that's bad. But I'm gonna explain why it's bad anyway. Everyone who sees two folks of the opposite sex spending time together, and I do mean everyone, even the fucking extras, assumes that the girl and the guy are involved and that they've made rough, passionate love to one another, or at least are planning on doing so, or should do so, even though there are plenty of other reasons why they might want to spend time together, that's never acknowledged. What this framing assumes is that it's only natural for a woman to be an accessory for a man, and that if a woman fails in that department, they are best off dead, apparently. Even the most charitable reading of this plot beat is that it's acceptable for you, a man, to let a woman die if you don't love her. Oh, okay, that's not entirely fair. In the next episode, the Coast Guard shows up, and surely Kanokari isn't trying to imply that the Coast Guard wants to fuck Chizuru, although considering all the other shit this show pulls, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think it's more likely the show's saying it would be fine for a lifeguard or a Coast Guard person to rescue Chizuru because they're getting paid, not because Chizuru's life is valuable, but because they're getting paid. And I know the show thinks along these lines because it tells us that that is exactly why Chizuru saves Kazuya. So after Kazuya gets Chizuru out of the ocean, he passes out, presumably because his lungs are full of seawater and possibly oil from an oil spill. So he might die. Have no fear, because Chizuru is here, now that she's regained consciousness, to give Kazuya CPR and save him from dying, like a decent human would. Except, the story does not frame it that way. Both Kazuya and Chizuru's inner monologues are concerned with the fact that if Kazuya had died, Chizuru might have gotten in trouble with the rental girlfriend agency, or at minimum would lose Kazuya as a source of income. あの人工呼吸だって客を守っただけそれがあいつの仕事なんだ。That's uh that's the two reasons why you would save someone's life. According to Kanokari, the only two reasons, either you want to fuck them or they're paying you. There's literally no other reason why any human being would want to save anyone, and if you try to save someone's life just because you think it's not good when people die or something ridiculous like that, you're some kind of a crazy person. And maybe if this were worked into Chizuru and Kazuya's characters, like if, say, Chizuru had to learn to care about more than money and Kazuya had to learn to care about more than sex, that might be fine. But no, this is just how the world is in this show. Everyone just assumes that they saved each other's lives out of love as a matter of nature. And again, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain why this is an objectionable view of relationships, not to mention a dim take on humanity in general. Sex or capitalism, yay. <laughs> And on the note of love as a matter of nature, I'd now like to pivot to Kanokari's first blatant instance of queerphobia in the introduction of the character of Sarashina Ruka. Sarashina Ruka is another rental girlfriend introduced in the show's sixth episode, being rented by Kuri, one of Kazuya's guy friends. She quickly recognizes that Chizuru is also a rental girlfriend and calls her out, which, after a string of more comedy hijinks, leads to Kazuya chasing Ruka into the subway to try and get her to keep their secrets. And then... Okay, so this scene is actually not 
the worst scene in the show, nor even in this episode, because at least in this scene, Ruka's character has remained consistent. She didn't like Kazuya before, and she doesn't like Kazuya now. It's still bad, because the groping is played off as an accident, and the narrative is biased towards Kazuya's side, but at the very least we know Ruka doesn't like Kazuya, and she has no reason to because he's obviously a creep. The integrity of Ruka's character has not yet been compromised. Later in this same episode, Ruka comes to Kazuya's college, takes him into an empty classroom, and demands that he hug her. During this encounter, the heart rate monitor app on her phone records a BPM of 90. So she bounces and then follows Kazuya home, where. <laughs> Literally ten minutes ago. <laughs> so, this is a change development? Is this character development? Sure. Yes. I mean, technically, but calling it that seems generous. So, Ruka has a heart condition. Her heart is beating at an abnormally slow pace, what's known as arrhythmia, and this is correlated with how she's never found any boys she likes, because all that matters in a boy in this world is that they make the girls go doki doki. This doesn't make any sense from a character perspective, as Kazuya points out. She has no reason to fall for him, and I would agree, she doesn't like him, or at least she didn't, less than ten minutes ago. <laughs>。<laughs>。So so Instead of some characters uh, working through their emotions and having arcs and developing feelings for each other and so on, it's just everyone in this world has the magical compass of their heart leading them to their significant other and future spouse. The show cheats us out of a proper character arc again for this. Uh, this was when I started to really, really hate Kanokari. Ruka tries to get Kazuya to date her, just incessantly pestering him. Please, be my boyfriend, be my boyfriend, be my boyfriend. And Kazuya is just like, no, hell no. No! Ruka tries to sway him by delivering an ultimatum that she'll out Kazuya and Jizuru's fake relationship if he turns her down, and he's like, okay, just give us one second. Oh yeah, and also Chizuru and Kazuya live in the same apartment complex next door to each other, because that's really convenient for fun comedy stuff like this. Also, this isn't really important to the matter at hand, but for some reason, Kazuya keeps his shoes in the same trash can where he tosses his cum rags. I just wanted to point that out. Kazuya and Chizuru have a chat over what to do in this dire situation, and ultimately Kazuya decides to just go confess his relationship to Curry, and then they'll have a laugh together. And when I was watching this, I was actually quite pleased. Hey, I thought, Kazuya just decided to make a choice and own up to things. Cool, I guess. And I think 
think if he had gone to Curry and the episode had ended there, it would have been fine, I guess. It would have felt like the story was going somewhere, finally, at least, maybe. But then Ruka suddenly barges into the apartment, sees that Kazuya is trying to flee, and then chases after him, wailing like a child. This high school senior throws a goddamn temper tantrum in the street over this dude who's done what? Stalked her, groped her, made her heart beat fast. Say, why would Ruka value her heartbeat, of all things, in a relationship? That's actually a potentially interesting story, but the show doesn't get to engage with that story beyond this cutesy ED of a baby Ruka and a Nintendo Switch, which quite amusingly suggests that the show takes place in at least 2027. Other than that, we get nothing. This ED is infuriating to me because after a whole episode of not giving a shit, it's been completely unearned. It shows Ruka's story in less than two minutes after a whole 20 minutes of no story. Not a story about Ruka anyway, just Ruka deciding that she likes this horny misogynist creep because her heart beat faster. I, I would have preferred no context or backstory to Ruka whatsoever, as opposed to the show rubbing in my face. Hey, look, just to show you how much we do not give a shit, here's the cliff notes for the more interesting story that we decided not to tell. The show doesn't care about Ruka because Ruka is just an accessory, a fucking Christmas ornament, this pisshead's girlfriend quests. Kanokari could have devoted a whole episode or two to revealing Ruka's story and her character made her actually matter, but no, it had to waste our time with this aphobic bullshit. Not only having the audacity to propose the disgusting notion that all Ruka needed to complete her was the right man, but to suggest that the right man is this fucko of all people who has absolutely no respect for boundaries, or woman, or himself, and it's not like this is a tall order, just give a shit about the characters that you wrote! The Monogatari series, an irreverently hilarious, surprisingly surreal, and unabashedly Japanese harem anime about a delicious and deliciously hot ex-vampire working with a hobo exorcist to keep demons at bay in his sleepy rural Japanese hometown is an anime I wholeheartedly adore. I will eventually make a whole video about it, I promise. I will get to it. I'm sorry I've let that Patreon goal sit for so long, I've been trying to find space for it, but I promise I will get to it. Like Kanokari, Monogatari deals in some anime tropes, but it at least is more artful and tasteful about it most of the time. But unlike Kanokari, Monogatari actually gives a shit about its characters. With few exceptions, the stories are generally structured as follows. A girl has some kind of supernatural affliction or demon inhabiting or cursing her that's causing some form of discomfort and is generally some sort of a manifestation of or metaphor for the girl's personal life issues. For example, in the first two episodes which comprise the Hitaki Crab arc of Bakemonogatari, Senjo Gatara Hi- Senjo Gahara Hitagi is introduced. She's a girl who lacks weight for reasons, and Araragi Koyomi, the hot ex-vampire, offers help to her after she stabs him in the mouth with a stapler. Hitagi meets with the hobo exorcist, Oshinomene, who in the second episode helps her exorcise the crab demon stealing her weight. In that episode, we learn all about how her parents divorced and her family broke up after her mom got wound up in a cult. She has to expose and resolve all of that history and her hang-ups over it, and the crab is dealt with, and then the story moves 
forward. And what's notable about this arc is that most of it has nothing to do with Araragi. He guides Hitaki to find her answers, and he's narrating the story, but for the most part, he's not the active agent of this story. He's just there. Senjokahara gets her time to shine, and Araragi, for the most part, doesn't get any more characterization than is immediately relevant to the plot at hand. And this is the case in most Monogatari arcs, because the series recognizes that ultimately Araragi is not an especially interesting character. He's the point of view character, and the point of empathy for Monogatari's intended straight male audience, but ultimately, the stories are all about these girls, and their deals. And it's great. It strengthens the female characters, because they get to have their stories, uh, happen, and there's enough weight and texture given to them that their entire character arcs don't rest on Araragi's existence. Each of these girls have lives independent of him, and of all the other girls and other characters, and that means that they can, and do, have their own arcs that barely involve Araragi. It also strengthens Araragi as a character, because when he does take the position of pro protagonist, it's because the series has something it wants to do with him, and his story is actually going somewhere. And it's also more palatable, because we haven't been spending all this time hearing all about Araragi and being told that the world revolves around him while he steals away screen time from all of these other, more interesting characters. Monogatari is not the only series to work this way, but it does do this exceptionally well. Kanokari, meanwhile, can't tell a story about a woman without involving a man. It can't give these characters any purpose beyond Kazuya. This isn't just bad in a hashtag problematic kind of way, it's also fucking boring, although it is also hashtag problematic. If Ryuka had been written differently, she could have easily fit within a similar formula. Instead of cramming all the backstory about Ryuka's heart condition, and how she was never able to get excited about boys into this two-minute ED that is then never again relevant, Kanokari could have had Kazuya's perspective introduce us to her and then pivoted to tell us her story. Ryuka could have had some context, as we would learn about her life, and a reason why she's so preoccupied with her heart rate. Maybe she's a medical science student, aiming for a career as a doctor, and knows a lot about medicine and the heart and human anatomy in general. Maybe her devotion to her medical studies means that she places a whole lot of stock in her physical status as the determining factor in her quality of life, and that's why she factors it into her love life as well. Maybe when she finds that the guy who makes her heart beat fast is Kazuya, her gut reaction is, no, no, this can't possibly be right. Why would she feel attracted to this guy? Is she attracted to this guy? We'd have a few more episodes where some other stuff happens, and then later on Ruka realizes that, hey, actually, this relationship with this guy I don't like, who I got into only because I mistakenly subscribed to some magical thinking that my heartbeat would lead me to the one, that ain't working out so good actually. Who could have guessed? So she discards that way of thinking about love, and decides to accept that maybe not liking boys is fine, actually, and is happier overall for it. Maybe she doesn't feel super attracted to boys, because she's ace, but that simply wouldn't fly, because… Ruka isn't allowed to remain unattracted to guys. As soon as she falls in love with Kazuya, any sense that she might not be romantically or sexually attracted to men is straight washed away in favour of forcing Ruka into the harem. Instead, her lack of romantic attraction is treated as something that can be solved by finding the right person. In this case, our abusive protagonist. It's not that you don't like guys, you just haven't found the right guy yet. This is a line of reasoning that many LGBTQ people hear when they come out to people around them. And Rent-A-Girlfriend reinforces that bigotry. That quote is from an article by Anifem writer Raghava Kovali, Rent-A-Girlfriend and the Hyper-Realization of the Waifu, which should be live by the time this video's done.
Ragava actually gave me some great feedback on the script for this video, and they've been great. Their article is great, and if you're enjoying listening to me, Terran Takanokari, you should definitely check out their article, which I'll be linking in the description and the comments. My proposition for Ruka's story, while not perfect, would subvert the A-phobia by turning it into some positive ace representation, while giving her some unique defined character traits and a logic behind her actions beyond the whims of love or whatever. But Kanokari isn't interested in this because the audience it's chosen to cater to wouldn't like to hear that story. They don't want to hear compelling stories about interesting characters. They want to have a horny self-insert male protagonist that they can relate to in a manga that seemingly exists for no reason but to serve as the source material for an anime to sell waifus. So of course, when the show introduces a character who rightly comes along saying, hey, this is kind of fucked up actually. It of course has to play that character as a villain, for, you know, saying that maybe you should have healthy relationships, or at least not have these clearly unhealthy ones. Bringing us, finally, to Kazuya's ex, impeccably acted by Yuki Oi, Nanami Mami. Nanami Mami is Kanokari's most coherent female character overall, but as with all the women in the show, the relative strength of her characterization is let down by the fact that we never get to properly hear from her. We only ever see her through Kazuya's eyes, and those eyes are biased towards being a horny misogynist piece of shit. In the first episode, Mami's breaking up with Kazuya is framed as if it came from utter nowhere whatsoever. Kazuya clearly doesn't know why she broke up with him, and doesn't have any idea why she blocked him on social media. From the framing that we're given in the first couple of minutes, Mami seems like a villain, someone who's ruined Kazuya's life by dumping him on his ass. But given the behavior we see from Kazuya in the following episodes, stalking, assaulting, manipulating, and coercing the other girls into doing what he wants, and generally being a creep, cutting ties with him is an entirely sensible action for Mami to have taken. She even cites exactly this sort of behavior in the second episode, when she sees Chizuru and Kazuya together after his guy friends invite them to come have drinks, and she tries to get them broken up. Mami's stated grievances are completely contiguous with what were shown in the rest of the series, and are justifiable grievances at that. She really doesn't like Kazuya, and she thinks that everyone else should stay away from him, and tries to make that clear as day by outing his abusive behavior. But because this show is written in such a way that Kazuya will never have to face any consequences for his actions, Mami's complaints are first framed as her trying to ruin everything for Kazuya, and then to really drive home how wrong she is, Chizuru stands up for Kazuya, saying not to badmouth her boyfriend. Diegetically, there's a completely valid reason for Chizuru to do this. She doesn't want Kazuya to give her another one-star review and jeopardize her income, but the story never tells us this, and as a function of the narrative, Chizuru's defending of Kazuya is meant to delegitimize Mami's accusations, and make us generally feel like she's wrong and it's okay. If it were framed from either girl's perspective, this scene could be greatly improved, but all we get is Kazuya's viewpoint, and all Kazuya sees is his bad behavior being excused. Even if he were willing to admit that Mami's complaints are valid, he'd probably say that that was old news, and he's a different man now, and so it's okay, and yeah, no. In any case, because this doesn't work, and also because Kazuya later tells Mami that he wasn't hurt by her badmouthing him because his sense of self-worth is already in the toilet without her help, Mami decides instead that she needs to do something more covert and elaborate to get Kazuya 
Kazuya and Chizuru broken up. So in the following episodes, she tries to trick Kazuya into thinking she regrets breaking up with him and wants to get back into the relationship. So okay, let me just say that the first time I watched this, I was very confused about what exactly Mommy was trying to do. She didn't seem to like Kazuya before, and yet now she was trying to get back with him. The only time the story actually tells us what her intention is, is when she's rage-tweeting about it on a private Twitter account, but that's very brief, and it kind of slipped me by on my initial watch of the series. I suppose she's wearing this all-American swimsuit at the beach, though, signifying her as a tyrannical romance imperialist. So that's something. My point being, Kazuya's limited perspective being prioritized to the point of excluding all other points of view is not only tedious and irritating, but actively makes the story harder to follow. Until Ragava pointed out to me what was going on upon reading a first draft of my script, I was under the mistaken impression that Mommy had changed her mind and was genuinely trying to get him back, but upon Kazuya's rescue of Chizuru, presumed that he still loved her for real, same as everyone else did, and decided to stay broken up. Speaking of, I don't actually know what Mommy thought of Kazuya rescuing Chizuru. If the show at any point told me, I I missed it, and I'm not going to subject myself to another rewatch just to double check. This problem is not exclusive to Mommy, but it is where the problem is at its most egregious. Out of all the girls, Kanokari is perhaps the least interested in entertaining Mommy's version of events, and I can only presume it's because she's been deemed the villain and therefore her perspective is invalid. Also, Mommy is an angry bi and or lesbian, and Kanokari is homophobic. The story first hints at Mommy's homosexual leanings when she comments in the second episode that Chizuru is really pretty. If we ever got a chance to hear her side of the story, I'm sure we'd learn that it was at this point that Mommy first developed a crush on Chizuru. In a flashback to a date with Kazuya, she says something to the effect of, I've never liked boys that much. Later on, while in her bedroom, grumbling about how all the men she's met suck, and she no longer wants to bother with dating, a position I cannot fault her for given all the men we've been shown in this world. She learns on the internet about Chizuru's status as a rental girlfriend. So Mommy rents Chizuru through the app, and in the final episode of the first season, we are treated to a date between two people of the same sex, framed and scored and acted as if it were a conversation with a fucking Bond villain revealing their evil plan. All Mommy wants to say in this scene is that she doesn't think Chizuru is a bad person for being a rental girlfriend, and also that she ought to stop fake dating Kazuya and lying to everyone, both of which are true, unobjectionable things to say. But again, Mommy is framed as a sinister interloper trying to ruin Kazuya's love life, so the show doesn't agree with either of those statements. Not only that, but the overall mood and tone that this scene sets is one of deep contempt and disgust for even the mere idea of two girls going on a date. The scene forgoes much of the gratuitous thigh and boob shots that Kanokari has traded in until now, instead prioritizing slow, tense, sparse cuts, and underscored by Yuki Oi's comically sinister voice acting. And the blatantly foreboding music. It wants you to think that this is unnatural and wrong, and in case there was any doubt, Mommy, being the one painted as the villain of this story, goes and says, And all of this sucks and is bad. But still, Mommy's motivation to break up Chizuru and Kasuya has clearly remained the same, and so her character is the most consistent in the show, apart from Sumi, who I'm 
sure the manga ruins later, and I'm not going to talk about her because she's barely in the anime. But to add onto the pile of relatively pedantic writing inconsistency criticisms I've been making for much of the video, one line in this scene stands out as out of place. <laughs> The reason why this doesn't track is because when she was trying to break up Shizuru and Kazuya earlier in the show, it seemed evident that she didn't want Kazuya to have any girlfriend. I suppose it's possible she's lying when she says this, but once again, I don't think the show cares. Whatever the case may be, it goes nicely into the last overall point I have to make about Kanokari, and the most not unique to me. The toxic notion that Kazuya needs not to work on making himself a better person, but to complete himself with a girlfriend. That is not how relationships work in real life. I should know, I've tried. Don't go into a relationship thinking that just having a partner will make you a better or more complete person. Regardless of gender or sexuality, that is just not a healthy or helpful outlook to have, and it's probably the fastest way to get your heart broken. I wouldn't know if there's a faster way. Mommy is in the right when she says that Kazuya's fake relationship with Chizuru is an unhealthy and unwise endeavor. However, she herself is clearly not taking much joy out of intervening in Kazuya's love life. I would not call her a villain, as the show frames her. She's not wrong to call Kazuya out for his shitty behavior in the second episode, but she's also demonstrating an unhealthy, though potentially understandable, inability to move on. Which makes sense, as Mami, like Kazuya, Kasuya has clearly been disillusioned with romance, and her self-worth has been lowered as a result of their breakup, not because she really liked Kazuya, because she didn't. She at one point says that she just was looking for whoever was convenient, and arguably Kazuya didn't like her either. It's because, rather, she and Kazuya have both failed to meet the patriarchal standards of this world. Mami is the most subversive character in this story because she has come the closest to challenging those standards. And that's a tragic and potentially compelling story. There is potential here for these characters to come to see the wrong in how they view relationships, to reform their views and change for the better as a result. But that won't ever happen because the very thing I am suggesting should change is the appeal of Kanoka. By the story's logic, it's not the rules of the game that are wrong, it's just that these people are pathetic and hilarious for playing it wrong. Kanokari saddles its characters with unreasonable standards of what a romantic relationship should be, and it thinks that those standards are good. When Kazuya constantly fails to get a girlfriend, he's pathetic for failing to find a woman to parade around as his prize. When Chizuru seemingly can only find anything resembling love in fake dating for money, she's a malevolent bitch exploiting men for cash. When Mommy complains about all the men in her life being assholes and questions her sexuality, she's a piece of shit for not being willing to accept her role as a woman in society. And when Ruka can only fall in love with Kazuya and says he's the only one she can fuck and have babies with, she is to be pitied. And Kanokari, through its manipulative writing style framing things this way, through its constant string of contrived coincidences and hacky character writing, its constant turning away from all the interesting stories it might have had to tell, preserves this status quo, making for a frustrating, exhausting, existential nightmare of an anime. I haven't read the manga, but I've been told that basically nothing has changed and it's continued to spin around in its little circles forever. I'm sure I would have nothing new to say about it, and I'm not going to waste my time on that. What's probably the most actively irritating thing to me about Kanokari, other than the misogyny, the aphobia, the homophobia, its view of sex 
work as illegitimate, and so, so many of the other things that I didn't have time to cover in this video, is that it thinks this is entertaining. It thinks this is funny to point at these pathetic people who failed at the game of love and laugh at them as they continue to fail to meet the story's archaic standards. It thinks this is the most hilarious thing in the world, and for that, it is quite possibly one of, if not the cruelest, most mean-spirited, most sadistic anime I have ever had the displeasure of viewing. I don't fault any one individual for enjoying Kanokari. I enjoyed Kanokari until I realized I was being played and then I didn't. When I realized there was nothing going on here except some cute character designs, that there's probably never going to be a worthwhile story because there is no purpose for its existence other than for the manga to go on indefinitely so they can keep adapting it to anime so Chizuru can sell you a Crunchyroll subscription. Description. Borrowing this point from Ragafa because I have no better idea for a conclusion, read their article, by the way. It's very eloquent and goes a bit deeper into some other points about the show that I agree with but didn't make a lot of time for here. I'm not immune to waifus. I like Chizuru. I like Ruka. Mommy's nice. Sumi seems fine. They're all good girls, or at least good character designs for theoretically good girls. And if you genuinely enjoyed this show and are excited for season 2, presumably for the girls since the writing is garbage, I... I think that's fine, but do consider that you're being played. Chizuru's just a girl in the gig economy trying to make rent and eat, like me by the way, patreon.com slash joystick, but Crunchyroll trying to sell you their service and their merch. They're not. They're a corporate enterprise owned by a company, owned by another company, owned by AT&T, and in fact, they employ and systemically exploit a whole bunch of gig economy workers for their anime subtitles. And that's why the show, and others like it exist, to sell lonely otaku weirdos, of which I freely admit to being one, the fantasy of an uncomplicated relationship with a girl who never challenges your worst flaws. There's nothing wrong with having a waifu, or a few waifus, but there is plenty wrong with being devoted to a waifu and letting such an obsession dominate your life at the expense of real relationships, self-care, and or your bank account. If in the short term, indulging in the fantasy from time to time makes you feel good, and you recognize that it's not real, and waifu healthily and responsibly, that's fine. No ethical waifuing under capitalism, as they say. Is waifu a verb? Um, it is now. Whatever. Where my head is, where my head is, I don't got him, I'm not famous, no. It don't matter what my name is, I don't got one, I'm not famous, no. Should I do and say That's my favorite thing That I'm not famous, no And I'm never on TV Throwing up on an LA street Nobody judges me Cause I'm not famous, no Paparazzi, you said in a time though Paparazzi, they don't care where I go Where my head is, where my head is Nobody knows my quirks, cause I'm not famous, no 
Everyone got their habits, but you'll never hear what mine is. Best thing about my life is I'm not famous, no. of other shows with actual stories that progress and aren't quite so generally misanthropic and frustrating as Kanokari, and also have equally great or better waifus who are also treated like actual characters in the stories that they're in, and you should just watch one of those instead. Personally recommend Bakarina if Monogatari's too het and or too long for you, or if you're looking for something more recent, you could watch Assault Lily Bouquet, which is uh, going to be a lesbian harem, it looks like. That, that, that's gonna be great, I hope. Um, thanks to all my patrons who supported this finely hinged rant, including Alf, Athiat, Awu, Cassandra, Eli Bergmoss, Eli V, Firesteel, Genevieve, Hikari no Yume, Nishwart, Scimitar, and Tiss. And thank you for watching, and bye.